Hello everyone and welcome to episode 32 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. Uh, So today's episode is a listener suggestion of sorts. One of our listeners, Bryony, suggested that we might like the Cold Justice series on Amazon Prime. Um, I'd never heard of it before and I don't really know how because it seems that it's actually quite a big show, uh, especially in the US. But either way, I started watching a few episodes here and there. Um, it's kind of like two women, a prosecutor and a crime scene investigator, and they travel the US to help police departments look into and hopefully solve cold cases. And this particular episode grabbed my attention because it went unsolved for five years and the killer was someone who had been on the police's radar from the start. So thank you very much, Bryony, for reaching out to us uh, because I found this case really, really interesting to research. So we start today's episode in Seagrave, which is in Gaines County in Texas, In 2008, 54-year-old Robert Bryant, known by everyone as Rocky, was working at a fertiliser plant just opposite from where he lived. He was 54 years old and had worked at the fertiliser plant for over 20 years. In his town, he knew almost everyone and his co-workers described him as being happy and caring. Rocky had a girlfriend called Patricia Graves, who he'd recently proposed to. Rocky had raised his now adult sons by himself, and his son Frederick Bryant described growing up with Rocky as a father as really fun living in a house full of boys. Now he had taken on the role of stepdad to Martel Graves, Patricia's son, who was in his early 20s. On a typical workday, Rocky would wake up at around 6am and then he'd walk the short distance to the dry fertiliser plant at which he worked. The plant was about a 10 minute walk from his house, so he would usually be at work by 6.30 in the morning. He would go into the main office, say hi to anyone else who was in, make himself a coffee, and then walk over to the warehouse building that housed the dry fertiliser, ready to start his day. He was almost always the first one in the warehouse each morning, as he was the only worker who lived so close, and he enjoyed setting everything up for the rest of the team when they arrived. On March 25th, 2008, Rocky started his day at 6.30, in the same way he always did. He went into the main office, and then walked over to the warehouse. His co-workers arrived at work around 7.30 that morning, and one of them went into the warehouse to say good morning to Rocky. As he pushed open the door, the door hit something laying on the floor. As the man peered round the door, he saw that Rocky was lying on the ground. Panicked that he'd had a heart attack, he screamed at the others to call an ambulance. The warehouse was pitch black, and so he pushed the door open further to get some light in. That's when he noticed that Rocky was completely covered in blood. He bent down and felt Rocky's pulse, and he was still alive. Rocky started moving and moaning, and the man asked him who had done this to him, but all Rocky could say was, they beat me real bad. Investigators and medics arrived at the warehouse very quickly, and Rocky's injuries were assessed at the scene. It appeared that he had been heavily beaten, both his legs had been broken, and it was presumed that he had suffered multiple fractured bones all over his body. The fear from the medics was that Rocky was bleeding internally due to his injuries, so he was taken to a big hospital in Lubbock, about 60 miles away from where they were in Seagraves. Frederick Bryant, Rocky's son, was at work when his cousin phoned him to say that his dad had been, quote, beaten up on the job. Frederick jumped in his truck and started the long drive to Lubbock Hospital to be with his father. Unfortunately, by the time he got to the hospital, Rocky had died as a result of his injuries. Mm. As Rocky had died, the scene at the warehouse was now being treated as a crime scene. Unfortunately, because many had believed Rocky would survive, the scene hadn't been preserved and lots of people had been allowed to walk in and out and start the cleaning up process. Therefore, by the time the scene was shut down and cornered off, it really was too late. 
Shortly after his death, an autopsy was undertaken, which revealed that Rocky had died as a result of blunt force trauma to every part of his body. The beating had been brutal. He had sustained fractures to almost every bone, and he had suffered an unbelievable amount of internal bleeding. The weapon used to beat Rocky was believed to be a hard object such as a baseball bat or a metal bat or pole, and it was thought that the killer had brought the weapon with them, as no objects of this nature were missing from the plant. There was no physical evidence that investigators could find at the scene. There was no DNA evidence, or hair samples, or any indication as to who the attacker might have been. The police felt certain that the attack was personal and done by someone Rocky knew, but nobody could work out a motive. The act of beating someone as hard as Rocky was beating led the investigators to look at his close personal life to see whether anyone had any reason to be so angry at him that they'd inflict that much force on his body, but they couldn't find anything. The police did find one thing, however, and that was a footprint in the ground within the warehouse. It's hard to explain, but the floor of the warehouse was covered in a sand-like material, and the police found a set of footprints right behind the door, facing inwards. This led them to believe that Rocky's attacker had been lying in wait behind the door, ready to strike him as soon as he walked into the warehouse. They realised that the person who did this must have known Rocky's routine, and the routine of the other workers, to be so sure that the first person to walk into the warehouse would be Rocky. Therefore, they looked where investigators always look first to the spouse. The police brought in Patricia Graves for questioning. They interrogated her for a long time about her life with Rocky and her relationship with him, and they even subjected her to a polygraph test. When Patricia failed the polygraph when asked questions about her faithfulness during her relationship, the investigators questioned her even harder, and eventually, Patricia admitted that she had been having an affair. This sparked an interest with the investigators, as it gave her a big old motive to want Rocky dead. She revealed she had been having an affair with a man named Jose Luis Villarreal. However, he was known by everyone as just Louis. Patricia said she was certain that Louis must have been the one to kill Rocky. She said that sometimes he would talk about kicking Rocky's ass, and that he would take drugs and that would make him mad. She also said that he had beat up people in the past over women, and this statement was supported by a separate witness who had worked with Louis. God, he sounds a real catch, doesn't he? What a guy. <laughs> So, whilst the police searched for Louis to bring him in for questioning, Patricia took it upon herself to do some interviews on the case with some news channels. In one particular interview, Patricia showed her engagement ring to the camera and said, This ring was given with love. It was taken with love. It was accepted with love, and I will always wear it. She broke down crying to the camera and said that she and Rocky had planned to marry in six months' time on the 12th of September, the day of her birthday. This seems a bit dishonest that... I mean, I'm not saying she didn't love him, but actually she's had an affair and at this point might be partially responsible for his death. It's quite a bold thing to sit on TV Mm -hmm. preaching all of this, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's very, very bold. Um, And like you said, especially because she sat there telling the investigators that she thinks the person she had an affair with might have been responsible for this. Mm, Yeah. Uh, So the police eventually found and questioned Louis, but he denied knowing Rocky or even knowing Patricia, and he wouldn't admit to having any part of the crime. The police had no evidence to arrest him or to even connect him. There was no DNA evidence they could match, and short of a confession from the man himself, there really was no way to prove that he had done it. Therefore, they had no choice at this stage but to let him go. What about the shoe print? Um, So they couldn't connect the shoe print to him, and if I'm honest... That being their only piece of evidence, it really doesn't seem that they connected it at all to anyone and they even really looked at connecting it to people. So, you know, as we go on, you'll kind of see that. Um, 
it's very odd and i did think that when i was researching this um but yeah they didn't connect it to them. they more use the, the shoe prints to try and work out the um route that the killer took rather mm. than connecting it but yeah we were on the same page but unfortunately they were not on that page <laughs> <laughs> so the police also questioned martel graves patricia's son they felt like he might have killed Rocky on Patricia's request or even on his own doing if he wanted to protect his mother from Rocky for whatever reason. Martel's police interview went about the same as Louis. He denied being there. He said it wasn't him. And he said that Rocky was more than a stepdad to him. He was a friend as well. Because of the total lack of evidence in this case, it ended up going cold and no arrests were made. It stayed this way for five years and it was the only unsolved crime in Seagrave's criminal history. Meanwhile, Frederick's life started spiralling out of control. He'd taken the death of his father very hard and found the fact that nobody had been arrested or charged incredibly scary and painful. He took a bad turn and started dealing drugs, a crime that landed him in prison for a few years. In 2013, Rocky's murder was picked up by Kelly Siegler and Yolanda McClary, the hosts of the TV show I mentioned earlier, Cold Justice. The pair travelled to Seagroves, Texas to breathe a new lease of life into this case. They started by speaking to the initial investigators who had worked on the case back in 2008. The investigators told them that the only evidence they'd found were the footprints outside the warehouse and the office, and they believed these to have belonged to the attacker. The footprints led from the main station office to the back of the warehouse, and then the trail stopped. Then the footprints appeared again inside the warehouse, in that pattern that I described earlier, where the footprints were turned inwards facing the door, as if the attacker had been stood there waiting. The police revealed that they couldn't work out how the attacker had got into the warehouse. The door to the warehouse had been locked until Rocky had unlocked it that morning. So how did the attacker get in? Moreover, there were no footprints matching the attacker's footwear outside the front of the warehouse, and the footprints inside just seemed to appear out of nowhere. Then, these prints exited the warehouse out the back door and back past the main office station. Kelly and Yolanda's next port of call was to talk to Rocky's co-workers who had first been on the scene. They described that horrifying sight they came across when they had found Rocky's body on the floor. They confirmed that when they'd asked him who had done this to him, he had just said, didn't see, they beat me real bad. When asked what theory they had about this case, one man named Sammy put forward an interesting theory. Sammy showed the investigators the back of the warehouse and described how someone would be able to get in even when the front door was locked. He showed them a ladder that ran up the side of a tank outside the back of the warehouse. Once you were up the ladder, you could get into the roof rafters of the warehouse and there was a small walkway that went the length of the building. If someone climbed up there and then walked along the walkway, they'd be able to jump and drop down into a big pile of dry fertiliser to cushion their landing. Sammy said that he was absolutely certain that that was the way the attacker had got in. And this was something that Rocky had done once or twice when he'd forgotten his keys. This was big for the investigation. It not only gave the investigators something to look into, but more than that, it confirmed their initial suspicions that this was without a doubt done by someone who knew Rocky close enough to know tiny details about his workplace, like this hidden entry. Adding to this, Sammy said that once Rocky had been taken to hospital, he rang Patricia to tell her that her fiancé had been seriously injured at work and was being taken to the hospital. Sammy swears that Patricia showed no emotion whatsoever and she didn't even ask him how he'd been injured, if he was okay, or even which hospital he was being taken to. This all feels like information that the police could have got in the first investigation. Like, why didn't they speak to Sammy then? And if they had, they'd have had all the same leads. 
Like, it's not yet groundbreaking police work in this new cold case, is it? No, and I totally agree with that. And when I was kind of researching it and when I watched this cold case episode, they kind of turned to the camera, like the the new investigators, they like turned to the camera and they were like, this is why you talk to old witnesses because you uncover things like this. And I just, I had the same thing. I was like, why did the police not speak to them? Especially given that they were really like the first responders. They were the first people on the scene. Um, But I'm not sure... I don't know if it's because they're a smaller police force and maybe they're not as equipped to deal with murders um, or that kind of thing. I really, really don't know. But yeah, I agree with you. It does seem very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so investigating further, Kelly and Yolanda realised that a man named Mr Singleton had been sat in his front porch just opposite the fertiliser plant on that morning five years ago at the exact time Rocky had been viciously beaten. Mr Singleton had since had a stroke and found it incredibly hard to communicate with the investigators, but he did his best to draw on a piece of paper what he'd seen. He said that he had seen a man walking around the back of the plant to the main office and then round to the warehouse. He said that he'd then seen the same man walking back from the warehouse in the way he'd just come, past the main office and out of the plant area altogether. When asked who this individual was, Mr Singleton said that he was sure that the individual was a Hispanic man, And what would you know, that description fits Louis perfectly. Well, it's a bit of a loose one, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, literally. I use description in inverted commas there. (laughs) So the investigators were certain that the three people involved in this case were Patricia Graves, her son, Martel Graves, and her lover, Louis Villarreal. At this point, they were working with a theory that either Patricia had wanted Rocky dead so she could be free of him, or because she was mad at him, as they'd found diary entries where Patricia had written some very hurtful things about Rocky, calling him a sad man and detailing the fights the couple had when they got drunk. Their second working theory was that Patricia had thought she would gain some money from his death, and it was possible Louis, or even her son, thought they would benefit from that too. Therefore, in order to try and rattle the trio, they reopened their interviews by bringing in Ashley White, Martel Graves' wife, and Patricia Graves' daughter-in-law. Ashley was very nervous in her interview and she cried a lot. The investigators wanted to show her how serious this case was, and so they took her into their war room to show Ashley the board that had Martel's picture on it under the heading Suspect. She broke down in tears and told them that she knew nothing and that Martel had been with her the entire night before and the morning of the attack. Her story never wavered, despite her getting increasingly more upset. The police felt certain that she was telling the truth. It was clear to them that she could see the severity of the situation and that it was hitting her hard, but they felt sure she wasn't lying to them. They asked her questions about Patricia as well. They said they understood that it was hard because they knew she didn't want to get her mother-in-law in trouble, but they asked her if she'd ever heard Patricia talking about Rocky in a negative way or in a way that she'd found suspicious, but Ashley said no. Then Martel turned up to the station to see where his wife was and to check if she was okay. They asked if, since he was there, they could ask him some questions, and he agreed. The investigators noted that they felt that Martel was a much slighter build than what they'd imagined, and the police confirmed that this wasn't something they thought about, but they understood where the ladies were coming from. It would have taken a lot of strength and a lot of anger to beat someone as hard as Rocky had been beaten, and Martel didn't look strong enough now in 2013. Five years ago, at the time of the crime in 2008, he would have been even smaller. Either way, they pressed on with interviewing him and asking him if he had anything to do with the crime. He continuously denied his involvement and stuck with his initial statement from 2008 that he'd been at home all night and the whole morning of March 25th, a statement that was alibied by Ashley. Martel said that when Rocky died, he lost a friend and he wanted to see his killer brought to justice. He said that for a small part of his life, Rocky was the only person who had ever helped him and he helped him grow into the man he was today and he hadn't wanted him dead. 
The police asked Martel if his mum, Patricia, had anything to do with the crime, and Martel said he didn't know. The police had expected Martel to defend his mother, so this response intrigued them. They pushed further and asked if Martel thought his mum was lying to the police, to which Martel replied, I don't know, but it sure is suspicious. Mm. The police took this information and let Martel and Ashley leave. They did believe them, but because the pair were each other's alibis and there was no concrete evidence that it wasn't Martel, they still kept him in the back of their minds as a suspect. Thinking back to Mr Singleton's witness statement, however, led the investigators to believe that Louis was their number one suspect. However, they couldn't find him straight away, so instead they brought Patricia Graves back in. They showed Patricia a video of her interview with the police from back in 2008, in which she explicitly said that she thought Louis had killed Rocky. They asked her why she said it, and she said because he used to speak about wanting to kick Rocky's ass when she told Louis her and Rocky had been fighting. They then asked about her affair with Louis, to which she said it wasn't an affair, it was just a one-time thing. They then revealed phone records that showed her and Louis texting and calling each other 30 times a day, and then a series of texts and phone calls just 15 minutes after Rocky had been attacked. Patricia responded with, just because I cheated on him doesn't mean I wanted him killed. She then walked out of the interview, claiming that she had to take her mother to the hospital. Although this early exit hindered the officers' plans to try and crack a confession out of Patricia, it didn't matter in the end, as other officers had managed to locate and bring in Louis for questioning. Are they still together at this point? No, it doesn't seem that way. He strenuously denied his involvement in the crime and couldn't understand why he was being questioned again five years later. He even exclaimed to one officer that he thought the case had been closed, to which the officer said, no, unsolved homicide cases are never closed. Yeah. In the interview, Louis stated, in direct contrast to Patricia's statement, that he and Patricia had been sleeping with each other two or three times a week whilst Rocky and Patricia had been together. He was asked if he and Patricia had spoken about Rocky, to which he said no, he wouldn't be talking to a lady he was sleeping with about her troubles at home. This, again, is in direct contrast to what Patricia said when she said that Louis told her he'd kick Rocky's ass. They posed to Louis that he had every reason to want Rocky dead, at which Louis scoffed and quite grotesquely said, I'm not going to kill nobody over some pussy. Hmm. The police then tried a more emotional tactic and started talking to Louis about his child and said that he could think again about ever seeing them again because they had too much evidence on him. This was, in my opinion, a lie. They didn't really have any evidence to charge him, but I assume they did this to try and get a confession from him. However, it didn't work and he continued to deny any involvement and eventually they had no choice but to let him go. This hadn't been a total bust, however, as they'd found lies in Patricia's story, and so they questioned her again in the hopes that she might tell more lies and trip herself up even further. They started the interview by asking to see her hands. She showed them to the officers, and then one of them produced the video in which she'd made that heartfelt statement about her engagement ring being given with love and accepted with love, and how she'd said that she was never going to take it off. Well, as I'm sure you've guessed, she wasn't wearing her engagement ring in this interview five years later, and so the <gasps> officers started off by quoting back those heartfelt words to her and asked her why she wasn't wearing her ring anymore. They said, I thought it was accepted with love, to which Patricia responded by saying that she just didn't want to wear it anymore. This clearly put Patricia on the back foot and in an uncomfortable position, so then they pushed her to once again clarify her affair with Louis. She said once again that it hadn't been an affair, she had only slept with him once. Then they told her that he had said that they'd slept together three times a week, to which Patricia said, no, 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 that was after Rocky died. That was not whilst Rocky was alive for sure, that was after. It's not that much better though, Patricia. 
Well, exactly. And this stunned the officers because then they produced that video of Patricia's first police interview where she kind of adamantly said, you know, I think Louis killed Rocky. I think Louis killed Rocky. And they're like, well, you're telling us that you started sleeping with the man who you thought had killed your fiance after he died. So very suspicious. This suspicious statement paired with the text messages sent between Patricia and Louis just minutes after Rocky had been attacked and the eyewitness testimony from Mr Singleton was enough for the police and they took this information to the district attorney to put together a grand jury in order to indict Louis and Patricia for the murder of Rocky Bryant. On the 11th of July 2013, a grand jury indicted both Jose Louis Villarreal and Patricia Rene Graves for the charge of first-degree murder in relation to Rocky's death. On July 12, 2013, Louis was arrested in Hobbs, New Mexico at a residence close to where he lived. He was held on a $250,000 bond. Six days later, on Thursday, July 18, 2013, 48-year-old Patricia Rene Graves was arrested and she was held without bond in a Gaines County jail. Frederick Bryant was overcome with emotion and he was so happy that someone was finally being charged with his father's murder. Unfortunately, nothing happened with this case for a while as the evidence was still incredibly weak. Then, on Thursday the 23rd of February 2017, a motion was brought to dismiss the charges against Louis Villarreal and this motion was approved. The district attorney's office found that the evidence against Louis was legally insufficient to pursue criminal proceedings in the murder of Robert Rocky Bryant. You know, I was thinking that, that I was kind of surprised that they felt like they had enough because it's all relatively circumstantial, isn't it, at this point? It's all circumstantial, yeah. And so the DA said that whilst dismissing any case is always a difficult decision, we have to be certain that there is evidence to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Here, the evidence Mm. was clearly insufficient to proceed. We always try to do the right thing for the right reasons. And here, the right thing to do was dismiss the case. So, yeah, basically what you just said, the motion cited weak circumstantial evidence that did not completely rule out the possibility that the homicide was committed by some other individual. And the DA said that there was no new evidence in the present case than what had been there in the initial 2008 investigation. The eyewitness, Mr Singleton, was found to be an unsafe witness because he could not communicate properly what he had seen. The DA's office found that it was clear that he could not identify Louis as the man he had seen, only that he could communicate that he had seen, quote, a dark-skinned male near the scene at the approximate time of the offence. He also hadn't witnessed anyone actually leaving the warehouse when the crime had taken place, so prosecutors couldn't even prove that the man had even been connected to the crime. I think, however, the thing that was uh, least in the prosecution's favour was that Mr Singleton sadly passed away before a trial could even go ahead and therefore they really didn't have any evidence against Louis at all. Um, The DA's office also referenced the cold justice episode that covered this case and they said that all the references to various evidence in the episode were all inadmissible in court. Why? So they said that the prosecutor would not be allowed to present to the jury evidence of Louis' supposed bad character, uh, the statement that he'd attacked a man in his past, the reference to his illegal drug use or anything else, really. They said all of that was inadmissible in court and that they felt they literally had nothing to present at the trial. Would it have been admissible if it hadn't have been aired on cold justice or was that like by the by and actually it was just because it speaks to his character and it's not evidence and all of that Mm, that's a really interesting question I mean I don't know I think um defense attorneys always try to um, especially in cases like this they try to bring in any kind of motion that they can to keep out any uh, reference to 
the defendant's past behavior or anything like that. I mean, we saw it slightly in the um, episode 20 with um, Christopher Newsom and Shannon Christian, where they wouldn't let the uh, prosecution bring in um, his one of the defendants, um, I think it was Latalvis Cobbins, his past pattern of behaviour, even though it was directly related to the case. So here, I think the issue would just be that, first of all, the fact that he'd supposedly been taking illegal drugs like meth that would make him really angry, and the fact that he'd attacked a man in the past, that's hearsay, so they probably wouldn't allow that to come in anyway. Um, mm. And there's really no proof. I think it, I think it just comes down to that. Like, it is just essentially hearsay, um, and you can't prove it. Yeah. It does make sense. But it does also seem, I don't know, it just seems like, like I know it's bad, but it just seems like really poor police work at this point because I don't know if he had something to do with it and I think everyone deserves a fair trial, but I find it it's really sad for Rocky's family that they've just dropped this case against this guy. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I think it's absolutely heartbreaking, mm. especially to be so frustratingly close and I think it must be awful as a police person as a family member anything it must be awful to really f- have a strong feeling that you know who did it and just lack the evidence to prosecute them but like you say i think a lot of these laws are enshrined in law yeah. because they are there really with the idea of being to protect people like mm-hmm. to stop me getting up on the stand and just randomly slating someone mm-hmm with a complete pack of lies just because I want to see them go to prison, etc. And whilst I would suspect that's quite rare and more often than not, it's probably that it lets guilty people go free. You can understand like the logic behind it, even if in this case it feels quite senseless. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, so in this statement from the DA, they then went on to say, ultimately, Patricia Graves has pled guilty to Rocky's murder and therefore the case is closed. And when I read that, I was like, what? yes that's what I said and I was that's not anywhere and I was just like that's I can't find that anywhere so then I started digging even deeper and basically it turns out that when Patricia was arrested she told investigators that she was responsible for the crime however she said that she wouldn't reveal any more information or make a formal confession without a plea deal therefore she took a plea deal with the state for get this a 10-year deferred adjudication. And this means that she won't have to go to a state prison if she stays out of trouble for 10 years. She also had to pay a fine and pay court fees and do a 250 hours of community service. But that's it. She's free for admitting that she killed someone. How can you be allowed to take that kind of plea deal when it comes to a murder? It's like, I understand plea deals are some kind of incentive, but actually just, that's just like you know, I'll admit and save you the task of actually getting to the bottom of this case, you know, if we just brush this all under the carpet and pretend it never happened. That's outrageous. I can't, I couldn't believe it either. And then I was just like, what is a deferred adjudication? So I looked into it because I was really confused. I've never, ever heard of this concept before. Um, It actually does, though, seem to be done quite a fair bit in the US and specifically in Texas where this case occurred. So being on deferred adjudication in Texas means that you're on probation for the period of time stated by the DA. So for Patricia, that's 10 years. And the legal system requires that the defendant put in a plea of guilty, but they aren't technically found guilty. And instead, this finding is, for want of a better phrase, put off unless the defendant commits another crime within their specific set period of deferred time. Um, So this has implications with regards to employment and other stuff like that. 
if we use Patricia as an example, it means that she can apply for jobs and the potential employer can see that she has been arrested and that she has this deferred adjudication, but they can't see for what crime as there's technically been no conviction. And this goes back to what I said a second ago about defendants not being technically found guilty. And that's why I couldn't find any information on it when I'd initially been researching this until I read that statement by the DA. So... Courts often use deferred adjudications instead of the usual probation route because it gives the court better sentencing powers if the defendant violates his probation. So it essentially means they can give out a higher sentence. And so it's often used to deter criminals from committing more crimes whilst on probation, as they know they can go to prison for a much longer time if they're you know, stuck with a deferred adjudication. But I cannot understand why the hell this was given to Patricia. I have no idea. She's not like a delinquent committing petty crimes left, right and centre this is a murder investigation she admitted to brutally killing or arranging the killing of her fiance why does she get a deferred adjudication yeah and it's a silly sentiment to think that it will put her off killing more people because i mean sure it might but also what that's just an awful way of putting like a value like oh you know one life okay well it's happened now but let's put her off from doing any more and then it's all fine i'd bet my sandwich that this is really to do with money it's very expensive to keep people in prison i wonder if maybe actually their prisons are overpopulated they don't actually have space Mm. and while she's done a horrible thing and i hear me i think she should have served a prison sentence and still should she probably actually is fairly limited risk to the rest of society because this is a personal arranged killing to serve her own purposes and yeah satisfy her own needs i don't actually think that she is about to start going on a killing spree so i would have thought that they'll have taken a judgment of risk weighed up yeah basically the cost of make of doing anything other than a deferred adjudication um and yeah decided that actually it was a the best option for them Mm. not to pay to keep old Patricia in prison for years. But I do Mm. think it's outrageous because, yeah, I just don't understand how when it comes to taking someone's life, you can just brush over that and think that, oh, we just punish them more if they do it again. It's like, no, they need punishing for the action that's happened. That's how you deter people from doing things in the first place. No, exactly. And I can understand the sentiment for, I don't know, someone who's committing like a string of robberies or a string of arsons or whatever, And they, you know, they can't put them all in, they can't keep putting them back in prison or whatever. I can understand the sentiment then of like using this uh, deferred adjudication to deter them. It just doesn't make any sense with regards to Patricia's case. But I do agree with you. It probably is to do with overcrowding in prisons and the expense. And I'd be really curious as well if they'd caught her at the time. I wonder whether she'd have got the same thing or whether actually they just thought, you know what, you've been living in society for five years, Mm. not really made a peep, actually... I don't know. Yeah, I just wonder if the yeah, I agree with time that. elapsed made them feel that it wasn't such a sudden and raw murder and that actually it was more like he'd died. And I know that's like quite nuanced stuff, but actually I just, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wonder if, I don't know, they were almost over it. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And it's awful. But I definitely understand what you're saying. And I'm sure that probably did have something to do with it. I mean, they interviewed her countless times. They obviously didn't think that she was like a, oh yeah a risky person but I agree with what you kind of said earlier it's not about that is it a part of that you know obviously is protecting the public part of going to prison is protecting the public but also yeah it's serving time for the crime that you committed and I just feel you know it just seems so unjust to Rocky's family that she's just free 
And also because of this plea deal, it means that nobody has any details of Rocky's murder because she essentially admitted to having a part in it. But that's all that I can tell you about it because of the terms of this plea deal. It means that none of that's been revealed. And it's unclear if she is the one who did it or if Louis did it or if she hired someone. But either way, the plan was hers. Um, To me, I think personally, it seems unlikely that she'd be able to inflict that much force on a grown man. But then I don't know because I don't know how mad she was or her strength or anything. It could very well have been her, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know. You'd think... I don't know, you would just kind of assume if I know that the, whoever did it snuck in and climbed through the rafters, etc. But actually being like someone on the plant's wife, I find it very unlikely that she'd have been there and someone wouldn't be like, actually, do you know what? I thought I saw Patricia earlier because oh, so she didn't apparate into the building. I just, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's unlikely it probably was her herself. If for no other reason than the woman's obviously a coward, like she couldn't find the balls just to leave Rocky Mm -hmm. so I find it very unlikely that she found the strength to actually kill him absolutely yeah I actually agree with that that someone would have noticed her and I guess based on the pattern of text messages so soon after the attack as well uh, the pattern of text messages I mean between her and Louis I'm kind of minded to believe that Louis was involved and you know he was messaging her to say that it was done or whatever and they were Mm. talking about it Um, so yeah I definitely agree Um, that's all I've got anymore no what a sad case I know, it's awful. And that is literally, unfortunately, all that I have for you. It's a bit bittersweet, I think, because Rocky's family did get justice of sorts, but not enough, in my opinion, I'm sure your opinion as well, Sal. Um, I think Patricia Graves is either an incredibly lucky woman to get off so lightly, or there's just more information regarding her involvement that we just aren't privy to. But yeah, like I said, I can't tell you. So thank you everyone for listening. You can support the show and get extra weekly content over at patreon.com slash infractionthepod and you can find us on social media at infraction.thepod. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you over on Patreon now or see you next week. Bye. Bye.